up in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I used to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Radio listener, it's that time of year again. March 1st through 5th, it's time for the 4th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, 5 days, all here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, 5 days, amazing comics from all over the United States here in San Francisco to entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer and Subliminal SF. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Labor and Love Radio. This is the B coming to you from 2781 21st Street here in San Francisco, El Mero Mero, 
the heart of San Francisco's Mission District. And we're here today, not just a labor and love show, but the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Fortunate enough to have two of the people who are going to be doing their routines during this five-day, five-day, count them, five, comedy festival. 46 shows, 25 comics. Come on down. Be a part of it. Okay, this is Labor and Love Radio where we tell you how it is. We tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. We tell you if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, You're probably on the menu, and never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Okay, well, let's just get, jump right into our business here. I've got two gentlemen here with me in the studio at this point. Would you guys introduce yourselves, please? Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Carl Berger. Uh, Hailing from Portland, Oregon. And uh, I'm Ben Warren, also from Oregon. <laughs> Portland. Okay, well, welcome, you guys. And um, a little bit later, we'll get into who you are and what you're doing here. I'd just like to let you know, those people of you out there who are listening, that today's going to be a special labor and love show. We're going to concentrate on comedy appropriately enough for the Mutiny Radio 4th Annual Comedy Festival. The best in underground comedy. Okay, there was some labor news this week. Um, The T word. Teachers, teachers, teachers. All over the country in places where you would least expect it. The people who you would least expect expect to rise up of all our uh, all our uh, public employees teachers teachers just recently won a vote in Oakland California just across the bay after a seven day strike they won an 11% raise a limit on charter schools and um, more personnel in the classrooms Uh, We've also got a situation in Ohio where one of the first charter school unions claimed a victory in better working conditions, smaller class size, enhanced health benefits. All over, it's teachers who seem to be leading the way. So, remember, if you ever get a chance, have a child in school, have uh, somebody grandchild check out your kids teacher teachers are very hard-working people speaking as an ex-teacher myself <laughs> let's ask you guys right off the bat we're talking about teachers and strikes um you haven't carl let's start with you you have an experience with a teacher as you were coming up yeah i mean teach that's i i i firmly believe that teachers are the the kind of like backbone of uh you know your, your youth your childhood they're they're the people that get you 
for the majority of the day as a kid, especially when you're, you know, going through your, your worst years <laughs> as a young adult when you're, you know, throwing fits or you're a teenager, you're angsty, you're, you know, swearing in school and giving teachers all hell and they just kind of, they just got to deal with it. The parents don't have to deal with that all day long, you know what I'm saying? They don't, they don't have to put up with that garbage, but, uh, the teachers are, it's really like a thankless job when you think about it. Cause I've done, I've worked a couple, uh, jobs in my, in my life, not, not teaching, but doing, you know, summer camp stuff, working with kids and man, at the end of the day, you're just like, I don't, I'm not going to have kids. I don't think I want kids. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's so it's bananas to me that, you know, it seems to be like a, a Republican platform to, to not fairly fund teachers or, or, or not adequately compensate teachers like was it scott walker who like his whole was it scott walker his whole platform was fighting the teachers unions in wisconsin yeah, and it's just like why like why <laughs> why do you want to pay the people that take care of your kids less money that just seems bananas to me i don't know how about you ben uh yeah i mean just speaking of that for just a sec i i almost look at the current climate in this country and wonder if this isn't just a result of decades of not paying teachers enough as we just fund the war machine you know uncontrollably but uh, as far as teachers that had an impact in my life oh i had an amazing spanish teacher who spoke nothing but spanish to us and and you know gave me lots of advice i had a great uh history teacher who you know not only would would teach me historical things from different perspectives other than what you know the the main sort of white story is uh but you know things like classes called natives and newcomers and and just with different ways to look at the world you know and in addition to that like that guy would take time outside of class to give me relationship advice you know and and all while he was buying his own school supplies to fund our projects and that is just ridiculous yeah see i think for too long legislators thought it was an easy place to cut because everybody knows teachers would spend out of their own pockets <laughs> yeah. if they had to so uh that just went on too long people get mad people finally uh, rose up yeah it's well, let's talk about you guys for a minute um no for more than a minute <laughs> <laughs> Um, ben, let's start with you. I guess, um, where are you from? A little bio. Sure. Uh, how you came to comedy. Maybe a little sample of your work. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> let's see here. I grew up in uh, rural Illinois, you know, uh, outside of Chicago. People would always ask me as a kid, like, uh, how, you know, how far from chicago are y'all and i would just say decades <laughs> you know it's like oh yeah chicago was cool but where we were it was just corn and soybeans and miami uh it was it, yeah it's interesting growing up in the midwest there's a lot of a lot of words that nobody else knows <laughs> and you know what's funny is a lot of it's built on labor and labor unions. It, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> but there's a lot of hard working folks in the Midwest that uh, that shape everybody's lives there. 
Um, came to comedy. We had some kids. I, uh, my wife really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and she couldn't do it because she was. A, she's our career. She's our career mom, <laughs> and I don't make enough to pay the babysitter. <laughs> and uh, I said, "Look, I will. I will be the stay-at-home dad. I will do it for at least a year." And uh, three months in, I went to her. I said, "This was a horrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I can't do this." But I did. I did it. And now here I am. We're uh, now we're like a three and a half, four years in. I'm still doing it every day and actually getting better at it. It's good. But, <laughs> That's good yeah. work. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Good work. Okay, so um, how about you, Carl? Yeah, I I grew up, I was born and raised in Maine, a little coastal town called Booth Bay. Uh, similar kind of, it's it's a Maine, if you're not really that familiar with it, is a very summer-oriented vacation spot for most people. And then there's a small population of uh, folks that live there year-round that kind of clean up after the summer tourists leave and maintain the properties and do the fishing and whatnot so i i my folks actually moved up there uh they were hippies and they moved up there to like you know farm and move back to the land and that kind of thing and got stuck there for the for the most part and i grew up there and grew up uh work you know working construction with my dad and stuff like that and you know a small little blue collar town and uh moved out to portland oregon uh, when i was 17 and uh, a few years later decided to try out you know try getting into comedy and just trying to make connections you know through through jokes make connections uh finding the capital t truths and things that we can all relate to and pointing out the absurdities of uh of human nature and stuff like that uh yeah that's 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 pretty much it <laughs> what is it about making people laugh that attracts you I, don't, I can't speak for Ben, but I know it's definitely uh, a euphoric kind of high you get a little bit when you're on stage and you, you're you're vocalizing your thoughts and you're like, wow, my, my imagination, my thoughts are eliciting this response from a whole crowd of people. If everybody, all these different people, if they can all you know connect on one joke and they all get it at the same time and and laugh it's definitely a big a big reward uh you know from an analytical point of view and at the same time it's just kind of fun to be the only person talking to a whole room of people for a little bit yeah yeah i just like it when everybody's quiet and listening no uh, <laughs> no honestly yeah to be able to to use your words and your thought process to like change the feeling in a room you know like where you can take people to this incredibly happy place and bring them down to, you know, and, and to feel those, you, like, I can feel the emotions. It gives me goosebumps, you know, when I when I feel those transitions. But but then knowing, yeah, that you're un, uniting these people, just like Carl's saying, bringing a, a crew of people that maybe have never met, and and they're going to look over as they're, this guy's laughing and be like, we're all connected. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's about making you know making connections in this day and age. People are so isolated or so kind of entrenched in their own camps, and 
honestly, we're all kind of going through the same stuff, relatively speaking, uh, for, on, on, a, on a human perspective, at least. We're all going through the same stuff. And to point that out and make people realize that, you know, I think kind of breaks down some of those barriers. And if, you, you know, if people can leave a show and, you know, like, like, remembering a joke of being like oh yeah that you know it really is like that you know that's kind of a, a, a nice thing to see or oh yeah i don't want why do i do that or you know whatever it may be who who are some of your preferred comedians or who were uh, like when you were growing up might be have influenced your work i mean i'm a bit i'm only 28 i'm a bit younger so like growing up i definitely i was into like mitch hedberg uh big time i loved his stuff and then like mike berbiglia's early early work too when he was uh when he was still young and and uh more of a comic he's kind of more of a, a filmmaker uh you know storyteller now but those guys and i think now i, I like some of the i really like this guy rory scovel he's he, i don't think he's like as well known uh to a lot of people but he does some pretty uh, abstract comedy and I, I like that uh, that kind of goofy side of it um, yeah yeah Roy School is amazing I I grew up uh, on Cheech and Chong <laughs> and, yeah, honestly I really thought I was just going to be a pot co- like a pot comic I, I love telling weed jokes and uh, yeah Cheech and Chong Eddie Murphy uh, all kinds of old greats George Carlin personal mm. favorite even though I've, I've never been able to be a rant comic like I I, even though inside I'm boiling about some of the stuff that he talks about, I just Carlin got very faint, and very serious mm-hmm. and prophetic, even you know, at the end of his career. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm digging. I, I love George Carlin and uh, the stuff that he talks about. It, it speaks to me. You know, it's, it's just like, hey, uh, it's kind of the same feeling you get when you're in the bottom of Grand Canyon. You know, at, at sunrise or sunset and you're looking around and you're just like don't take yourself so seriously hmm. look at us man we're all here part of this like yeah bigger picture love carlin either of you ever listened to jonathan winters yeah i'm going way back this is when i was a kid these are the people that i yeah who are you, who are your well your jonathan winters i remember bob newhart Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lenny Bruce was. Oh, yeah, Lenny We're gonna Bruce. We're going to play some Lenny Bruce, some George Carlin today. Fantastic. Yeah, except when Lenny would get out and just talk about his court. <laughs> yeah. The whole time. Okay, well, I want to thank you guys. You got anything you want to add? Uh, how about let, letting us know when you'll be uh, on stage? Absolutely. And uh, I did ask for a one-liner. Okay, what I mean by that is something that sum up yourself sum up um you know where you're at so the people out there know who you are <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll take it first yeah I, for, well i just want to say thanks for having us on by the way and, oh believe me uh, it was my pleasure thanks to pam for for setting up a wonderful festival and having it be so amazing and uh four years running strong four year four fourth year yeah four years running strong it's great uh I, I spent a little bit of time last night hanging out with some of the comics after the show, and it's uh, what a joy it is to get you know get to a new city, meet some people who are traveling, or uh, meet the local comics, and just kind of hang out and tell stories. And uh, it, it's super nice. It's nice, and it's nice to get out of Portland, get out of a, a city where you're familiar, and kind of 
test out the waters in a, di- a different place. So really grateful to be here. Uh, you can catch me um, tonight, 7 p.m., the Ultimate Game Show. Uh, you can catch me tomorrow. Uh, I'm doing a movie, some sort of movie screening with Tim Pizza. Is it Tim Pizza or... Tim Pizzi, yeah, we're doing a movie screen. I'm not really sure what to expect, but I do love movies, so I'm, I'm jazzed for that. Uh, later that night, 6 p.m., um, I'm on uh, Edsel Max, my first Barbie show. It's it's sold out. It's about, uh, you know, <laughs> traumatic childhood uh, upbringing, or I don't know. Maybe that's just the way I interpreted it, or maybe that's just the stories that I'm going to be telling. But uh, And then on uh, Monday night, I'll be doing the uh, 7 p.m. show, Millennials vs. Gen Xers. So a lot of stuff, a lot of opportunities come out and see some good comedy. And for I don't, I don't, I'm not really a one-liner comic, but, uh, uh, you know, I... Uh, I visited my grandfather recently. Uh, well, visit visits a strange word. I bought a Ouija board at Goodwill, and uh, we chatted. We chatted all night, and it was fun. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> nice. Heck yeah, man! I, I also want to just shout out to the festival too. Uh, this has been amazing. If you've never seen a mutiny show live, uh, get down here. These things sell out. It's super intimate. You're you're here with comedians from all over the country, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, it's it's definitely the coolest thing i've done in san francisco so far <laughs> um i'm doing a, another little podcast tomorrow morning and then uh sunday at 7 p.m i'm on parenthood moms from the hood um <laughs> and uh that's at 7 p.m and these tickets are selling like hotcakes they you know you won't get them fast uh on and then on monday uh password a comedy game show where i'm gonna do a set and then be scored based on buzzwords in my set uh and there will be a champion that will emerge hopefully it's me uh but i'd be okay if it wasn't i like everybody winning um and yeah i'm stoked uh let's see a little something about me my wife and i we were role playing the other day uh I hope it's okay for Mutiny Radio, but yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we were role playing the other day, and uh, you know, we decided to do a doctor scenario. So I went into the bedroom and I waited. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, my comment is. Uh, as far as talking about Pam, without Pam, there's no festival. Without Pam, there's no mutiny radio. The other thing I want to mention is how important I think you guys' work is. The work of comics and, like you say, bringing people together to laugh. As long as we can keep laughing, you know. Yeah, if you want to uh, just hang tight and uh, call my parents and tell them that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, so it's labor and love. Let's uh, listen to some music. Got to get myself set up here.
speaking of uh, comics, let's listen to uh, Lenny Bruce. And uh, and he's going to talk about Jimmy Hoffa. Let's see now. How to relax your colored friends. familiar with them? Uh, no, it's, it's quite a I don't know if they're, uh, I think they're heaps. You're not Jewish, are you? <laughs> no offense. <laughs> Some of my best friends are Jews. Uh, we have over the house for dinner. They're all right, uh, you know. Some sheenies are no good, but uh, you seem like a white Jew to me. <laughs> yeah. At Bojangles, Christ could eat tap there. Oh, you tap dance all yourself, huh? Yeah, yeah. All you people can tap dance, I guess. <laughs> you people have a natural sense of rhythm. What's that? Born right in you, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, boy. The way I figure it is, uh, no matter what the hell a guy is, if he stays in this place, he's all right. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. That's what's causing all the trouble in the world. Everybody, like, uh, I mean, uh, oh, here's the Joe Lewis. <laughs> Joe Lewis was a guy who, the way I figured he was a guy who just knew when to get in there and get out of there. It's more than I can say for a lot of you niggas. <laughs> no, I had a few before on the way over here, you know. You're all right. You're, you're a good boy. Uh, did you have anything to eat yet? No, I haven't. I'm not uh, I don't know if there's any watermelon left. Uh, uh, fried chicken or dice or raises, but uh, we'll see if we can fix you up or something. Uh, I want to have you over the house, but I got a bit of a problem now, and I don't want you to think I'm out of line, but I got a sister. And I hear that you guys... You know, it's my sister, and... Well, I'll put it to you a different way. You wouldn't want no Jew doing it to your sister, would you? That's the way I feel. You know? I don't want no coon doing it to my sister. That ain't you, and no offense, you know what I mean? And uh, as far as my sister's concerned, uh, shake hands on you. Oh, yeah. You do it to her? I hear you got some perfume you put on them and, and make you do it to her. You don't do it to her. It's not true, there's no perfume you put on them. You just, they just do it to you? <laughs> You're all right. Hey, listen, uh, I'd like to have you over the house, I was telling you, but uh, wait till it gets dark and... Uh, <laughs> How about Richard Nixon? <laughs> <laughs> 
Lenny takes aim on Richard. Colored people at parties. Hey, it's a hell of a spread. They're really not a put on. If I should win the nomination, I will win, yes. Uh, and if I become a candidate, I believe I will be nominated. Naturally, uh, that's a self-serving statement. That's what happened when Nixon went to Venezuela. But, you can, uh, but, but I, I am convinced that the man who, event, who survives... Nixon, he hung out with Eisenhower too long. My mental dictionary and my own thoughts are not, not as well coordinated as they were once. Eisenhower... He never took his clothes off. I can never, he never went to the toilet. He just stood there. Those who have lost elections in the past have come back to win. I hope to come back to win. That's why he'll never make it. You know that in your heart. He can't make it. But I can win. Can I win? Uh, I hope to win. I must demonstrate. I must hope to come back to win. But I can win. I can do the job. Seal, send in Nixon. <laughs> Nick, sweetie, sit down, baby. Ah, oh, has he cute? Has a black curly head, devil? Uh, get some of that twelve-year-old scotch over here, little Havana, huh, baby? Uh, sweetie, what's going on? Yeah, don't put me on. Nobody's putting you on, no? How'd you like to go to Lebanon? Uh, why don't you stop? Like, I don't want to go on any more trips. You did great in Caracas. Are you kidding? They hated me there. They spit at me. They hate me. They threw rocks at me. A few squares who didn't dig your rabble rouses. I don't want to go anyway. Create a monster, is that what I did? The boy I helped capture teeth. I don't want to be ungrateful or anything like that. I just, I don't, I don't, you know, if I did good in one place, you know. You did good in Biloxi. I don't want to go. Why? They just don't like me, that's all. There's something about my hair, I think. Want me to tell you the truth? What? They liked you at your old lady, Pat. <laughs> that's it. Everybody dug you. It's her. She overdresses. Besides, who brings their wife on a trip? You'll go. You're not even going to fly tourists this time. is worse than Reagan. Bush is so anti-woman, which is so upsetting. And, and um, you know, the last time I was here, it was for the big uh, March for Women's Lives. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of women here. And, and just these, these demonstrations all day long, you know, every day, it's like starting on Friday, just going on till Sunday. I was worried that they were going to shoot their wad. I, forgot that women can protest multiple times.
And it's because George Bush is such a pro-lifer, and it's so scary to think about that, you know, like, he, he's determined to wipe out, like, reverse Roe v. Wade, and he blocked the availability of morning-after pills over-the-counter, stating that it would promote promiscuity. So? You know, I never had any access to morning after pills, and that did not stop me from fucking my way through the USA like I was Lewis and Clark. And if the issue is promiscuity, then why is Viagra everywhere? Doesn't it make more sense to leave the bullets out of the gun than to just try to avoid being shot? Especially when the gun is an old musket. that you gotta pour gunpowder in and tamp it down. You gotta be real careful because it just might go off accidentally. Right in your face. I mean, what kind of priorities do we have in science, like where we have Viagra? I mean, you know, like, hmm, well, we could, we could find a cure for AIDS or for cancer. No, we need more hard-ons. That... <laughs> what did guys do before Viagra? Oh, before Viagra, well, I had to use a splint. I did. I, I, I used a shoelace to wind it around there. Yeah, that was during the Great Depression, so that shoelace was going right back in your shoe when you were done with it. Thank God somebody invented a cock ring. Oh, that was great. I think that was Eli Whitney. Everybody remembers the cotton gin, but the cock ring, that was his finest hour. I want morning after pills more than over the counter. I want morning after pills with my check at dinner. I want morning after pills on my hotel pillow when I go to bed at night. But George Bush has such little respect for women, he believes if we have more choices in reproductive health, that it will set off a fuck wave, <laughs> and women will be out in the street humping fire hydrants. <laughs> Half of the workforce will be lost because we'll all be generating a huge pussy cyclone. <laughs> Just bought it off the coast of Florida. It's Hurricane Poontang.
It's so infuriating when the government creates laws in order to restrict women's sexuality. And this happens all over the world. Like in Afghanistan, the Taliban would make women wear burqas where they're covered from head to toe, essentially because they're afraid of this. You know, you don't have to be a woman to be a feminist. You should just fucking be a feminist. Really. And if you're not a feminist, you should kill yourself. Because, like, where did, where did you come from? Did you grow out of the ground? <laughs> We're all here because of women, you know? I mean, that's enough to be a feminist. And it's weird when women aren't feminists. Like, Ann Coulter. I, I don't get that. Like. Yeah, I just, I, I'm such a feminist, and then I see her, and I'm like, oh, that's why women shouldn't work! Then they want to show you the pictures. The pictures, here's another ordeal. The pictures of these little gargoyles that they have loosed from their loins. A lot of these professional mommies, they think there's nothing better than having a baby. Oh, they think it's the biggest thing in the world, having a baby. I call it pumping out a unit. <laughs> That's all they're doing, pumping out a unit. <laughs> Some of them every year, like clockwork, like an assembly line. <laughs> Here's one more item for you, the last in our civics book. Rights. Boy, everyone in this country is always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right. You have no right. We have a right. They don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up. Like the boogeyman. <laughs> the three little pigs, Pinocchio, Mother Goose, shit like that. Rights are an idea. They're just imaginary. They're a cute idea. Cute. But that's all cute and fictional. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. The God excuse. The last refuge of a man with no answers and no argument. It came from God. Anything we can't describe must have come from God. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day, and he would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. God would have been looking out for you. You know that? He wouldn't have been worried about making sure you have a gun so you get drunk on Sunday night and kill your girlfriend's parents. But let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? The Bill of Rights in this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things like slavery. Just fucking slipped his mind. But let's say, let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29. The Belgians have 25. The Swedish have only six. And some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? 
no rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Do we find out at long last, after all this time, that God is weak in math skills? Doesn't sound like divine planning to me. Sounds more like human planning. Sounds more like one group trying to control another group. In other words, business as usual in America. Now, if you think you do have rights, one last assignment for you. Next time you're at the computer, get on the internet, go to Wikipedia. When you get to Wikipedia, in the search field for Wikipedia, I want you to type in Japanese Americans 1942, and you'll find out all about your precious fucking rights, okay? All right, you know about it. You know about it. Yeah. In 1942, there were 110,000 Japanese American citizens and good standing, law abiding people who were thrown into internment camps simply because their parents were born in the wrong country. That's all they did wrong. They had no right to a lawyer, no right to a fair trial, no right to a jury of their peers, no right to due process of any kind. The only right they had, right this way. <laughs> into the internment camps. Just when these American citizens needed their rights the most, their government took them away. And rights aren't rights if someone can take them away. They're privileges. That's all we've ever had in this country is a bill of temporary privileges. And if you read the news even badly, you know that every year the list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You see how soon Yeah. Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not give a fuck about them. Government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a fuck about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing, keeping it and expanding it wherever possible. Personally, when it comes to rights, I think one of two things is true. I think either we have unlimited rights or we have no rights at all. Personally, I lean toward unlimited rights. I feel, for instance, I have the right to do anything I please. But if I do something you don't like, I think you have the right to kill me. So where are you going to find a fairer fucking deal than that? So the next time some asshole says to you, I have a right to my opinion, you say, oh yeah, well I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. Then shoot the fuck and walk away. Thank you. Okay, this is uh, our uh, big comedy show. And uh, we started out with Lenny Bruce, How to Relax Your Colored Friends. Okay, we're talking, Lenny Bruce now is working in the 1960s, and he um, engaged with a lot of things that people wouldn't talk about at that time. And we were all supposed to assume at that time that African-Americans were not being lynched. African-Americans had their lives and their place to be. And 
in genteel company, you didn't talk about segregation, or you didn't talk about the rights of Native Americans, or you didn't talk about <clears throat> drug addiction, even though all these things were just as prevalent as they, or more prevalent as they are now, especially racism, huh? <clears throat> well, Bruce engaged those embarrassed people. He talked about those things on stage and eventually got in uh, trouble with the law. As you might in those days if you threw around uh, what were called swear words or you talked about things like homosexuality or prostitution or drug use. Anyway, Lenny Bruce kind of championed those things and some people think that he got too far gone on those things and on his own legal problems to be an effective comic. But uh, he was very effective. Um, before that, we had, after that, we had Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho with her take on uh, sexuality on sexuality as it relates to uh, government and repression. And last but not least, we had the prophet George Carlin talking about your rights and making sure that you remembered 1941, May 1941, when Japanese-American people were herded into concentration camps. What happened to their rights? Ah. It's all so confusing, huh? Trying to make it real compared to what?
love I'm hanging on me push and shove Possession is the motivation That is hanging up The goddamn nation Looks like we always end up In a rut Everybody now Trying to make it real Compared to what Is a killing hogs, twisted children are killing frogs. Poor dumb rednecks rolling logs, tired old ladies kissing dogs. I hate the human love of that stinking mud. I can't use it, trying to make it real compared to what. what it's for nobody gives us a rhyme or reason have a one doubt they call it treason we're chicken feathers all the way out wonder god damn it I'm trying to make it real compared to what Sunday sleep and nod, trying to duck the wrath of God. Preachers filling us with fright. They all trying to teach us what they think is right. They really got to be some kind of nut. I can't use it, trying to make it real compared to what.
piano, where's that honey? Where's my God and where's my money? Unreal values, a crass distortion. Unwed mothers need abortion. Kind of brings to my old young King Tut. He did it now, trying to make it real compared to what?
Okay, we're back. Uh, this is the Labor and Love Show on a special uh, comedy day. We're celebrating the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival here at 2781 21st Street, a.k.a. Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio, truly a community arts center. We've got comedy, we've got radio, we've got art. We've got video. Come on down. 
For a hundred bucks a month, you can be a programmer yourself and have a voice. MutinyRadio.fm on the internet where you can tune in and listen to shows that you might not have had a chance to listen to in our archives. Pick out the show you have. We got over 40 shows, including this one. So come on down. This is where it's happening. If you've ever had an idea of presenting your own comedy, being your own stand-up comic, this is the place to do it. This is the place where you can come and listen and watch people like yourself who want to be comics or who are comics. It's a place where you can come and test out your material. But come on down to the festival. Five days of comics from all over. Um, day two is today. And earlier in the show, in case you missed it, I had a couple of the people who are presenting. Uh, ben and Carl. So... Listen up to that. Okay, we had uh, Les McCann, as I say. Okay, then we had um, Leon Russell and his uh, rendition of It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry, and then Bob Dylan singing the Woody Guthrie song about uh, people from the South and the Midwest coming to California in the 30s with the line of it, if you don't got the do-re-mi, it won't be beautiful. If you don't got the do-re-mi. Okay, so let's see. Um, I want to get into radio labor for one. And radio labor always takes a minute or two to warm up. So we had Les McCann, then we had um, Leon Russell, and we ended there with Bob Dylan. Uh, We're going to have some more Lenny Bruce on our last uh, hour there. Maybe talk a little about Lenny's life and his run-ins with the law. But there are several things we want to talk about on the labor beat. Um, Teacher strikes, a strike in Erie, Pennsylvania. At a tractor, I want to say a tractor. Erie locomotive plant workers strike against two-tier. Strike wave winds raises for Mexican factory workers. Here we are, Erie, Pennsylvania, at a sprawling locomotive manufacturing complex a mile long and a mile wide in Erie, Pennsylvania. 1,700 members of the electrical workers walked off the job early Tuesday morning. 
to fend off their new employer's efforts to impose a raft of concession, including two-tier wages. So we, we know what two-tier is. Instead of having uh, one uniform salary schedule, um, newer workers have to accept uh, one at much lower wages, much lower base wage, and therefore much lower um, wage after seniority, and everything is, act, is added in. On Monday, the former GE transportation plant formally became a part of Webtech, Westinghouse Airbrake Technologies, which brought the $4 billion a year division from the industrial conglomerate last year. So, there's a situation there. We'll see how long they stay out for that one. Workers voted on Saturday, that would be a week ago, to authorize the strike. Almost all the strikers are members of UE Local 506, one of the biggest locals in the 35,000 member union. The UE has fought off similar concessionary proposals from GE for years, usually accompanied by the company's threats to move production elsewhere. Radio Labor's. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, March 1st, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, Zimbabwe's militarized state arrests the head of the International Trade Union Confederation in Africa. How technological change can produce good jobs. U.S. labor fights the rise of anti-immigrant forces and singing Nothing but buttons and bells and lights all over the factory This is Radio Labor. The General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation in Africa, Kwasi Aduamankwa, was arrested, removed from his hotel room, and taken to the Harare Airport in Zimbabwe this week. Indications are that the government's security forces were planning to deport Mr. Aduamankwa, but pressure from the international labor movement and other sources made the security forces back down. Mr. Aduamankwa was released to continue his meetings with the labor leaders in the country. He is working with the Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions, the ZCTU, to improve the country's labor legislation and the plight of its working people. A while back, I talked to Vimbai Zinyama about the situation in Zimbabwe. Ms. Zinyama is the head of Parliamentary Affairs, Advocacy and External Relations for ZCTU. I asked her about the labor laws in Zimbabwe. The labor laws in Zimbabwe have been the bone of contention even pre-independence because the, the issue was the deficits within the labor relations which caused a lot of the people of Zimbabwe to go out and fight. 
And soon after independence, the main gain was actually the introduction of the Labor Relations Act. But however, ever since, there have been erosion of any gains by these struggles because the capitalists intended to eat away the benefits that had been achieved by the workers. The labor laws, as they stand at the moment, we have one that applies to the private sector and one that applies to the public sector. So in that, to that effect, it means that there are benefits that apply to the private sector that do not apply to the public sector. We have always called for harmonization of the labor laws to that effect. Then there are the core standards within the ILO, which also are a requirement for decent work to prevail. And these core conventions have always been flouted by the government. And yet some of them are even provided for now by our constitution under Section 65. So we are in a big fight to ensure that we harmonize our Labor Act with the Constitution of Zimbabwe as well as to ensure there is compliance with the international labor standards. Has the removal of Robert Mugabe improved the situation for labor unions in Zimbabwe? No. I do not think that would be um, anything anyone can say at the moment because the situation in Zimbabwe is that we are slowly turning into a military state and that in itself does not correlate very well with the aspirations of democracy and good governance which the trade unions are always up for. We have written several letters to the incumbent, the current president of Zimbabwe, who has taken over from Mugabe, and we have not got any responses as yet. What we perceive possibly is that the situation is going to get worse with the militarization efforts. A lot of the departments have presence of the army, which may either be visible or invisible. It will mean that the space for negotiation and uh, proper policy dialogue or social dialogue will be closed. So I do not think, perceive a time when things are going to be better unless there is intervention. The international labor movement is reacting to the vast changes in the workplace due to increased automation by saying the world can create good jobs if the political will is there. That was the central message presented to a panel discussion at the World Economic Forum by Sharon Burrow. Ms. Burrow is the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITC is the labor body which represents national labor centers such as the Ghana Trade Union Congress at the world level. Ms. Burrow was asked by the panel moderator to describe labor's stance on technology and jobs. She refers to a recent report on the topic by the UN's International Labour Organization, the ILO. First of all, let me say that we're not particularly frightened about the technology. We actually think there are ethical issues, but there's societal issues about mm. how you deploy technology, and we don't, but we don't believe in a, in a deterministic future either. So it is a matter of the use of the technology, and then 
how you integrate it. But for trade unions, we've been integrating technology for decades. What's different now is the speed and the, and the dramatic shifts in the way production is managed or the way we're dealing with, you know, services of any kind. Yes, the skills will be very different. You're still going to have agriculture and construction and manufacturing and uh, services in, uh, in a whole variety of ways. There'll be some new industries. It's really the question of the skills. So if you walk back from this a little and you say, so our challenge is really the transition, there are periods of disruption. Yeah. Now, we've not dealt with those as efficiently as we might have in previous uh, transitions. But it's always in, in, the, in economies that have dealt well with this, in businesses that have dealt with it, skilling, upskilling, reskilling, always been part of the equation. And we need to add a few more things now. There will be displaced workers. I mean, the jobs, we can argue about whether there'll be more jobs or, or less jobs. We're not prepared to give up on full employment. But, uh, but it will be, in fact, the case that while there'll be melded or blended jobs with technology, there'll also be displacement. And we have to get the social contract right. I mean, already we've got inequality that's historic level. So we need to do, we need to have a renewed social contract for that basis. The ILO's report actually gives you a very good frame on this. Reinvigorated social contract with a, lab, a floor of a labour guarantee. So as we're seeing displaced workers by platform work, mm -hmm. where you are terribly precarious, you can't actually plan your working life or your income, then we can fix that. And so there are solutions. We've just got to have the mindset and the collaborative will to make it happen. This also begs the question with Sharon, you touched on what is a good job? And to, to your point, there's plenty of job creation in some places in the US. A lot of politicians would boast about job creation. Uh, half of the fastest growing job categories are $15 an hour or less. Mm. So what does a good job look like? How do we make sure we have them? Well, you make sure you have them, first of all, by ensuring everybody has a living wage, a minimum living wage. If you can't live on a wage, then in fact you have a precarious life. That leads to a precarious economy. We can make any job a good job. And we can recognise work, care work for example, and pay it a good wage. It's not about affordability. The world's three times richer than it was 20 years ago. But we're not distributing it through wages. So a minimum living wage, universal social protection, so you have income when in fact you have times when you've been displaced or when uh, you know, you're uh, raising a family or whatever it might be. We know the solutions. You can put a, a labour guarantee under all workers. It's uh, a much more significant challenge for us to say, do we have the political will to do that? At the, at the most challenging is to say, are we prepared to give everybody a good, secure working life, whatever they're working at. And we can do it. We have the money, universal social protection, a minimum living wage, and the right to bargain collectively. In a wide-ranging TV interview recently, the president of the AFL-CIO in the United States, Richard Trumka, deplored recent attacks on immigrants, anti-worker trade deals, and talked about the crisis of climate change. The AFL-CIO is the largest labor federation in the United States. Mr. Trumka was first asked about President Trump's anti-immigrants rant during an address to the members of Congress. Well, I, I was disappointed that uh, the president scapegoated immigrants to the extent that he did. 
he said that virtually everything that's wrong in the country is coming about uh, because uh, of immigrants. And that's simply not the case. There's an imbalance of power in this country between employers being too strong and workers being too weak. But that's come about because we've been attacked at various states. They try to destroy the right to bargain. They destroy the power of workers. Bad trade bills, bad tax bills, like the one that was just passed that encourages and rewards people for offshoring. Uh, and I was hoping he would talk about how he's going to bring that back in. But instead, he said, our wages are lower because of immigrants. Crime is higher because of immigrants. Uh, our hospitals are overcrowded because of immigrants. Every woe out there, he pointed to immigrants, rather than the rules that have been designed to keep wages down. That was disappointing to workers, I think, across the country. Mr. Trumka also discussed the bias against workers in the nation's economy and trade deals negotiated with low-wage countries such as Mexico. For years, we've been told that the economy is like the weather, that there's nothing you can do about it. But the economy is nothing but a set of rules that are passed by the men and women that we elect. And those rules decide the winners and the losers. And those rules for the last 30 or 40 years have been designed for workers to lose. So we work longer, we work harder, we produce more, and we make virtually the same or less. So one of those rules is trade. It's been designed, the trade rules to date have been designed to hurt workers, not help workers. And we're bound and determined to make sure that a new trade regime actually works for workers on both sides of the border, that it helps democracy, stimulates the economy, and develops the well-being of workers on both sides of the border. Now here's Joe Glazer with The Factory Song. I went down, down, down to the factory Early on a Monday morning When I got down to the factory It was lonely, it was forlorn I couldn't find Joe, Jack, John, or Jim Nobody could I see Nothing but buttons and bells and lights all over the factory. Well, I walked, walked, walked into the foreman's office to find out what was what. I looked him in the eye and I said, what goes? This is the answer I got. His eyes turned red and green and blue and it suddenly dawned on me. There was a robot sitting in the seat where the foreman used to be And I walked all around, all around, up and down, across that factory I watched all the buttons and the bells and the lights, it was a mystery to me I hollered Hank, Frank, Ike, Mike, Joe, Jack, Don, Dan, Roy, Ray, Ed, Fred, Pete and a great big mechanical voice boomed out All your buddies are obsolete All your buddies are obsolete All your buddies are obsolete Well, I was scared, scared, scared I was worried, I was sick as I left that factory Decided that I had to see the president Of the whole darn company when I got up to his office, he was rushing out the door with a scowl upon his face. For there was a great big mechanical executive sitting in the president's place. 
went home, home, home to my ever-loving wife. I told her about the factory. She kissed me, she hugged me, she cried a little bit as she sat on my knee. Now I don't understand all the buttons and the bells, but there's one thing I will say. I thank the Lord that love's still made in the good old-fashioned way. Okay. That was uh, Radio Labor and Joe Glazer at the end there singing. Real glad that love is still made in the same old way. So, what's our credo here on the show? Every week we read these messages to you. I wonder if this is it. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if there are undocumented immigrants in this country. Without social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. They aren't privy to it. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals bullshit is just the 1%. Convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they are all poor is due to vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains for fuck's sake. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Now, you know, you, you run into people and they say, oh, I'm just not that into politics. Well, so you're just not that into politics. Your boss is. Your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. It really affects your life, those political decisions. It matters who's running the country. There's not that much difference between them, but it matters that they're running the country. Okay, we're on the labor beat. We talked already about Erie locomotive plant workers strike against a two-tier plan that's being offered offered to them. Migrant white-collar workers at the University of London have gone on strike. 
This is all on the uh, Labor and Love Radio uh, Facebook page. After months of strikes... Outsourced workers at the University of London are nearing a historic victory that could see them bring an end to structural discrimination that has gone on for years. White-collar workers, quote-unquote, are just often just as exploited as blue-collar workers as anyone else. They're overworked, they're underpaid, they have often have no job security. These precarious migrant workers have been demanding since last year to be made direct employees of the university. But all attempts by themselves and their chosen union, the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain, to open a dialogue with the university have gone unheeded. Last April, 100 workers... went on the big, biggest ever outsourced workers strike in higher education history. The campaign demands that the University of London end outsourcing, end zero hours contracts, that it implement pay raises that it has proved but failed to deliver. Here's a local one. <clears throat> Workers at the Anchor Steam Brewery here in San Francisco at least it was proposed let's see Teachers at Summit Academy Parma to return Monday. Summit Academy Parma. The importance of that is that it's a charter school. Teachers working in the charter school organized. And won uh, important concessions, including wages, including class size. And as we said, our teachers in Oakland... After seven days of striking, a winner, 11% raise, more people, more personnel working within the school, working with children, a 3% bonus payable immediately. So... And here's another one about United Electrical. Democrats and this is from the Nation magazine. <clears throat> Democrats and progressives need to focus on what the United Electrical Union calls the first major U.S. manufacturing strike in the Trump era. A 
Americans are sick and tired of corporate America and their wealthy CEOs ripping off working families, announced Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders in a tweet dispatched shortly after the picket line was established. I'm proud to stand with the locomotive manufacturing quest workers of Local 506. Okay, what's happening? Is it springtime for labor? What's happening? There are strikes all over. There are victories all over. I'd like to read about this one at uh, um, the anchor, the anchor company, um, which has now been bought by Sapporo. They wanted to use the facility, the Petro facility. Now there were breweries there. I remember the Hams Brewery especially because I worked there for a little while. Um, so the brewery workers, like so many San Franciscans, are forced every day to choose between living and surviving. Uh, it's the same thing. It sounds ridiculous talking about poverty here in San Francisco when you make $19.25 an hour. $38.5. Not enough to live on here in San Francisco if you have a relationship, if you live with someone or you're raising a family. Sapporo is a multi-billion dollar company, but austerity continues. In 2018, Anchor ceased contributing to workers' 401ks. In 2019, the cap for accrued sick time was halved. In 2017, workers were made to contribute significantly more to their health care plans. Moreover, paid 45-minute lunches were replaced with half-hour unpaid lunches. A stealth appropriation of thousands of dollars from already marginally compensated employees. Okay. So this is a union town, supposedly. We shall see. ILWU is organizing and we'll definitely keep, keep track of that. Companies want to make their profits off your life. They want to buy your life from you and use it to make themselves rich. Okay. Let's see. Oh, I want to say a word about Juana Alicia Montoya. At least when I knew her, she was Juana Alicia Montoya. She is a muralist, one of the 
class or group of brilliant muralists who brought this art form back in San Francisco. It's always been part of Mexican culture, as indeed uh, mural, murals are parts of uh, many cultures. Juan Alicia is one of the most renowned practitioners of mural art. Several of her works are here. If you go to the Mission on the Mural Walks or you go to uh, Proceda Eyes to inform yourself about murals, Juan, Alicia, Juan Alicia's work stands out. Now, she's just finished a mural in Mexico, and it was, it was going to be covered up because the manager of the of the place where she's done the mural uh, wants a more modernistic work. But Juan Alicia's work is both modern and contemporary and futuristic, as well as hearkening back to the past. Um, so look on uh, Juan Alicia's Facebook, uh, on her Facebook page, and see how you can support her to get her work in Mexico uncovered again. I always remember the one, the Juan Alicia one where uh, there's some hands stretched out in front of a gun, a gun that's aimed at uh, some children. And you're all of a sudden put in the point of view of being the one who's holding, holding the person off from uh, shooting. Juan Alicia Montoya. Okay, let's play a little something and then it's going to be time to get out of here. Shuggy's Boogie. You know, sometimes when I'm fooling around with my guitar, I think back a few years to when I was first starting out. And I remember some of the first blues licks I learned to play. I remember hearing Pete Lewis, Jimmy Nolan, and Mel Brown with my father's band. They were fine blues men. And of course, the great B.B. King. My man, T-Bone Walker. And Pee Wee Creighton, Johnny Moore, Robert Johnson, Freddie King, and the great Sunhouse. And don't forget Elmer James. And then a few years ago, I remember things got kind of rough, and my father put together a little R&B group with Delmar Evans, Sugar Cane Harris, and the Mighty Flea and some more cats. We went out and played some funky little gigs. And I used to wear dark glasses and paint a mustache on, so I'd look older than I really was. Some of the joints we played were kind of depressing, but we had a cooking little band. We had a lot of fun, especially when we played the blues. Here's one of the things I used to like. Give me a little drum beat, baby.
Yeah, Shugi's Boogie. <clears throat> By Shugi Otis. <clears throat> Pardon me. Shugi Otis, uh, son, of course, of the great, the great uh, Joni Otis. Okay, here's our favorite cut from a factory. The scene is a factory where Hispanic workers, Latinos, have just walked off the job because two of their, uh, five of their people have been dismissed from this factory. It's in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it's being watched by one of the other workers, a guy who uh, makes this commentary. Hey, Migos, get about this motherfucker. Y'all got him fucked up. <laughs> Look at him. They sent a couple of them home. They all packed they shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man, this is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to God, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker. Huh? Uh, oh my mama, all that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting. They packed up. Yeah, I see, it's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was gonna play with these amigos and they said, oh yeah, we rise together, homie. And they leaving. And they not bullshitting. Take this in, man. Look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs, look, ain't no grinding, cutting, welding. This motherfucker dead ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga. Said, fuck you, bitch. And really, and really, see, this is what I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me here geeked up. Oh, my Malcolm back shit. Oh, my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. And they said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow. Oh, my mama. That's great. Look. Ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's over. I'm riding with the essays, nigga. Fuck it. Go to the crib. Go to the, go to the casa. I thought I would go me and boy be in. You swear to God. Amigo. Okay. Um, that was our commentary from a factory. And uh, it's about time for us to get out of here. Time goes by so quickly when you're having a good time, when you're talking about the reality, la pura neta, you know, what the, how society is set up to uh, keep workers down, keep them uh, broke and with their hands out. All they have to do is turn around and see how mighty they are. Um, let's see, how about Kaori Miraji? As usual, I've got way more to do. This is Coco Taylor. Till I 
This is the bee wishing you good week and good work. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else got a dollar. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work. You're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Okay, like I say, come on down to the Mutiny 4th Annual Radio Comedy Festival. Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Just spoke to a couple of people from uh, Portland, Oregon. Guests on this show. All right. of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, 
Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is Darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, 
located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Benders brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. <laughs> All so, on my limited view. Yes. Every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. And Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God. There's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience other than like 
like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 